All right, well, that's still a good video, but I told David, I don't think you guys can endure five weeks. So you probably won't see it again until the end of the series sometime in June, okay? So now hang on, let me do this because I'm, I'm doing... Sometimes you just need three hands. Very good. Let me get this all straightened up. There we go. Again, we're just so glad you're here today, and thanks so much for coming. By the way, one of the four up here this week had a very significant birthday. Saw that on Facebook, and uh, happy birthday. I won't point that out because I want to stick my foot in my mouth, which I have an incredible ability to do. And so, uh, but happy birthday, a very special birthday to you. And, you know, here's, here's the deal. You know, I, want, I just love stories from senior adults. I mentioned that earlier. You know, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and risk Doing something without permission just because it's funny. You know, I, I, I went to see Lucy's mom, Miss Calfetti, uh, this week, you know, actually yesterday, and she was telling me a story about World War II. And uh, she met her, her future to be husband in, in high school. And after high school, he joined the armed forces right in the middle of World War II. And so he said, I don't really want to get married until after the war. And I, you, a lot of folks didn't come back. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. And so they waited until he came back. And, and she said, in her, her cute little voice, she says, when he got back, we got married. And she said, uh, we had our first daughter. I think it was Linda. And we never stopped. <laughs> six, six children later. Six children later. So just, just, just incredible. I think about my brother Ken Erickson. He told me the story about how uh, he served in, in the Pacific in World War II and how that he was on the battleship Missouri when, in Tokyo Bay when the Japanese surrendered. What a what a cool legacy is that. And I think about Marquita Lambert when she said she came from St. Louis where they had running water and electricity and moved out there on 34 by the cave, if y'all know what I'm talking about out there, and had no indoor plumbing and no electricity. I go, really? I mean, like, you know, they used to not do that? And she said, yeah, that's just the way it was. So there's some great, great stories passed on from days gone by. I love the stories. And each one of us, here's what I want you to take home today. Now, this is the message just like we talked to with the senior adults, uh, with the seniors graduating. This is for our senior adults, but it is for each one of us. Because we want to talk about teaching today. Each one of us are teachers in our life. For instance, again, I don't have permission. But I'm going to step out in faith. Uh, no pun intended. My granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter's name is Faith. And it's just been a pleasure to watch her grow up. You can tell I'm proud, all that. And then something has happened. Hope, her sister, who is five, five, is that right? Yeah, yeah. 50, you're 56 and she's five. I got it down. I got it down. So, so she's five years old and here's what's happened. It's like all of a sudden, Faith is the coolest person in the world. And Hope just wants to hang around the big sister. She's the teenager, and in that five-year-old's eyes, she is the coolest person. Of course, it drives Faith nuts, okay? I mean, it's like they're attached at the hip. But again, here's the deal. My 13-year-old granddaughter, Faith, is teaching. Hope is like all eyes, all ears, and she's watching Faith and how she does life, and she is now a teacher. And I wonder, and this is a scary thought, if Hope is a teacher to Ethan. You could really appreciate that. We'll have to talk about that after church. We may have a problem, all right? But anyway, so all of us are teachers today. And in, in Titus chapter 1 and Titus chapter 2, um, Paul instructs a young pastor, 
about what to teach his congregation. So if you're going to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Titus chapter 1, look at verse 15 and 16, and then Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And we want to talk about the legacy, the, the story that we are all writing. Each one of us are writing a story. And for some of us, the chapters are many already. For some of you, the, the book is very thin yet, and you're still writing the chapters. And I want to leave you with an encouraging word that's very important, the, the book that we write, and the good news. No matter if you're 60, no matter if you're 85, if you're still breathing today, you, since you're the author, you have the ability to change the end of the story if you don't like what you're seeing. So it starts out something like this. In Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, let me give you a little bit of context. Um, Titus has been left in Crete, okay? And Crete was a... I'm trying to decide. Yeah, I'm trying to decide. How would you describe Crete? Um, let me read these verses to you because I probably won't get to them anyway later on. Here's, here's what it says uh, in Titus chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. It is necessary to silence them, the false teachers. Uh, they overthrow whole households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Sound like nice people. Uh, one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So I would take from that, being from the South, I can say this. Probably in Crete, there were some church members named Bubba, you know, and, and Billy Joe who sat around the front porch and didn't do a whole lot, you know. Just sort of like, what are we going to do today? I don't know. I'm from the South, so I can say that. So Crete was a very unusual place um, to, to pastor. So apparently in the church, there were some false teachers. Now, these false teachers... What they were doing was they were really capitalizing on the external. They, they apparently had some Jewish history with them. And so they really capitalized. They were circumcised Jews. They really capitalized on the importance of keeping the outside clean. They're, the, the ritual hand washing, all those different things that the Jewish people didn't come from God. Some Jewish leaders came up with them. But these, these, these techniques, these things... They were teaching the people, now you really need to do these things. Now, the sad part is, the crazy part, is outside they were crazy religious. They were all about keeping the rules. And the rules being these, these, these things that the Jewish leaders came up with that, that Jesus died to free them from. And inside their heart was just a mess. It was just, it was just gross. And so we had these teachers saying, you need to do, 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 do. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And then inside... They were just as rotten as can be. I think, Judy, you said in Sunday school that he was mean as a snake. And they really were. And you can see they were doing it. They were assuming positions in the church just so they could get some money. So it's just a crazy story. So here's what Paul writes to Titus. There we go. To Titus. And here's what he says. To the pure, everything is pure. Now, again, keep in mind what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, where he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When Paul says, um, to the pure, everything is pure, he is talking about people who have genuinely experienced an amazing thing called grace. They had experienced uh, the, the forgiveness of God. They have experienced through the cross and through the atonement of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice on the cross, they have received God's forgiveness. So that's what made them pure. That's what made them holy. And because their heart had been changed, naturally the outside changed. And it didn't change into you got to do, 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 do. They were speaking. They were living out this amazing grace. They weren't in bondage. They were free. Uh, they weren't locked into ritual. They were free. 
And Paul says, now here's what you need to know. For those who have truly experienced God's grace, to those who have truly experienced what Jesus Christ did on the cross, to them, they are pure, and the inside and outside match. In other words, what's in their heart is being lived out on the outside. Now, that sounds, you might about this time go, well, duh. Well, here's the deal. In Crete, it wasn't a duh. Because we had a group of teachers in the church, um, who, leaders in the church, who had a corrupt heart and were real big about being religious and keeping the outside rules. The inside and outside didn't match. In fact, again, listen to what he says. Paul, Paul was not known for his tact or his diplomacy. So to the pure, everything is pure, young Titus, preacher boy. But in contrast... To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So in other words, these people, because inside their heart they were corrupt, even though they had all the religious stuff going on, they had all the rules going on, they had the hand washing going on, the ritual hand washing, they had all the different things going on, inside they weren't changed. And it was a real conflict. It was a real negative thing in the church. In fact, it said in that verses 1 through 11 through 14, if you heard it right, it said that they're overthrowing households. This was totally disrupting the church. We, we spoke about unity in the church today in Sunday school. We're going through Tom Rainer's book, I Am a Church Member. And we talked about unity. These guys, because of the conflict, their corrupt heart, even though they kept all the rules on the outside, it was really disrupting the church. It was overthrowing families in the church. Now, Jesus talked about this. That's what makes it so cool. You know, Paul sometimes writes some stuff and you go, and where did that come from? You know, come on, you've read Romans sometimes. You go, and what are you trying to say? Well, Jesus spoke about this. Listen to what Jesus said um, in, in Luke chapter, uh, let's see here. I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 11, 37. Here's what he says. As he, Jesus, was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. In other words... The Pharisee said, hey, why don't you come to my house to eat? And Jesus said, okay, that's good. And so he goes in there, bypasses the ritual washing bowl, and just reclines at the table. And the Pharisee's going, I can't believe he just did that. He broke one of our rules. And so here's what Jesus said. But the Lord said to him, Jesus said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. You fools. Jesus lacked intact too sometimes. Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean to you. Jesus says, you're all wrapped up, and see if I've washed my hands or not. A rule that you came up with. But inside, you're dirty. Inside, you're corrupt. And then it's really cool what he says. He says, go and give to the poor, and then everything's going to be clean. What would giving to the poor indicate? A good heart. A pure heart. A heart that didn't seek to put people in bondage. A heart that set them free. That helped those who needed help. So, so Paul is saying that, that those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Your, your outside actions aren't pure, and neither is your heart pure. He says, in fact, both the mind and conscience are defiled. So, so Jesus is saying, if the heart ain't right, nothing's right. Now, that's important. You ought to write that down. Because these can apply sometimes to believers in Christ. In fact, there's some indication these guys were followers. 
They're just way off track. You know, if the heart ain't happy, there ain't nothing happy. You know this. When, you, when, you're, in, when you're in a sour heart, you have a hard time being kind to people and nice people and forgiving people. If the heart's defiled, the actions are often defiled. Um, the new saying used to be something different, but the new saying is happy wife, happy life. Happy heart, happy life. It doesn't rhyme, but it's so true. So, so Paul is saying, because your heart's sour, even though you're religious and you've got all this stuff going on, nothing is pure. Everything is, is, is defiled. But listen, I think this is so cool. Look at verse 16. They profess to know God. And so, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower, I'm a follower, I'm a believer, I follow Christ. Watch this. But they deny Him by their works. About this time you go, huh? I, I thought you said, Dwayne, that they kept these rules. And they did. See, normally when we deny Christ by our works, what comes to mind? Adultery, gossip, lying, stealing, cheating, those, greed. Those things will come to mind. But those aren't the works that they deny God. Because here's the deal. God came with this incredible plan. Back in the garden, he said to Adam and Eve, now don't do this. And they did that. And so that sin came into the world. And so through all these years, everyone's been passed on. We've all been born sinners, and we have a sinful nature. And that separated us from God. And God came up with a plan. And the plan didn't say, if you do a lot of good works, we'll figure it out at the end if you get in or not. All the other denominations, all the other religions in the world teach that. That there's a giant scale, and if, 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 if the good outweighs the bad, you're in. Maybe. You know, what kind of mood I'm in that day, God would say. He didn't do that. Instead, he became flesh in the, in, in the form of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, willingly, not have a bad plan, not, oops, it's Monday, willingly allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, Bled and died and gave up his life, making atonement, paying for our sin. Experiencing the full wrath of his father, God, on the cross that day. And that was God's plan for salvation. And any, per- any person, black, white, green, yellow, rich, or poor, any person who's willing to turn from their sin to follow Christ and experience his grace and forgiveness is in. There's no giant scale. There's no performance. You're just in. That was God's plan. Well, what works, then, were these false teachers doing? You wouldn't catch them committing adultery because, boy, they're law keepers. You wouldn't catch them drunk. They're law keepers. They were denying the grace of God. The works he's talking about is, this is so cool. It's religious works. They profess that they know God, that's God of grace, but they live a life of law. They live a life of keeping the rules to gain God's favor by performance. And let me save you a lot of hard work. You will never gain God's favor by your hard work. You'll only gain God's favor by experiencing His wonderful, amazing grace. That's it, period, nothing else. Go on, that's a good place for an amen. Everybody say amen to that one. It's all by God's wonderful, amazing grace. But these guys were twisting that around and saying, Oh, no, yeah, we may have a little bit of grace in our lives, but we earn and keep God's favor by keeping these external rules. And Paul says they profess they know God, but they deny Him 
by the works. You've got to be so careful of this. Now, as teachers today, we've got to be very careful. Now, teachers, that's pastors, that's mommies, and that's daddies, and that's 13-year-old granddaughters. We need to really make sure that we make sure people understand that any favor we have with God is because of what God did for us. Not rules. Not rules. It's so crazy in church, guys. I wish you could see it from a pastor's perspective. We hear it all the time and we see it all the time. That somehow we've gotten the, got the gig that where people do, 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 that they're spiritual. And if they don't, they don't. Listen, any spirituality we have is by God's grace. It's all God. It's all God. And so, so these guys were doing the exact opposite. And, and Paul says, well, you profess you know God, but you deny him by your good works. You're saying grace is not good enough. And I'm better than you if I do this external stuff. And Paul's saying, no, no. See, God's a God of grace, and you gain his favor by grace, not by performance. He goes on and says this. <laughs> like I say, Paul really lacks uh, tag. They are detestable. Now, remember now, they're not out committing adultery. They're just adding works to grace. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. Wouldn't you, aren't you glad Paul's not your pastor? People get mad sometimes when your pastors come across pretty straightforward. Okay? Aren't you glad Paul wasn't? Well, let me just tell you. Let me tell you how I really feel. You are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. Well, thank you, Paul. I feel really encouraged now. Thank you so much for that. So Paul is setting up ties. Ties, you need to understand something. These guys, you know, they're, they're really trying to teach that we need something more than grace. And that we are spiritual by the rules we keep. We gain favor by our performance. But then he goes in and said, he starts this wonderful teaching. And he starts saying, now here's what you need to do. Look, look what he says in verse number uh, 1 of chapter 2. But you must say the things that are consistent with sound teaching. Let's pause there. Um, I think the New King James Version, perhaps King James Version, sound doctrine, sound teaching. Everything that we do as we live our lives, as we teach. So if you're a senior adult today, he's fixing to talk to you specifically. He's going to say, now listen, you know, Titus, Titus, you're a teacher. I want to tell you how to help the older men be teachers. I want to tell you how to help the older ladies be teachers. But whatever you teach them has to line up with sound doctrine. I want to speak that into every parent. I want to speak that to every grandparent. I want to speak that into every Sunday school teacher. I want to speak to my staff and to this senior pastor. That whatever we teach, there's not room for extra biblical teaching. We need to teach the word of God. If it doesn't say, thus saith the Lord, we shouldn't be saying it. Now, I know tradition, and I know rituals, and we've always done it that way. I understand. I'm telling you, our job as teachers is to teach the Word of God. As moms and dads, teach. don't tell your kids something the Bible doesn't say, because they're going to call you on it. Make sure you know your Bible and teach what the Bible says. You do okay. All right, so here we go. He says this. You must say the things that are consistent with sound teaching. Older men. Now, again, in Crete, it was, a young, it was a young church, pretty crazy society. I mean, you know, again, kind of like Corinth, very liberal, uh, very wide open society. And so the, younger, the older men were older, but they were young Christians. You got that? I mean, just because you're an old guy or old, old I almost said old lady. <laughs> this stuff gets in, I tell you, you get in trouble. 
if you're a senior adult, an older man or an older woman, okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have great spiritual maturity. If you've only been saved a year, you probably don't have the death yet, even though you may be physically very old. So these guys were new Christians, and here's why he tells the new Christians so they can grow into good teachers, okay? He says this, older men are to be level-headed. Now, this is the Holman Christian Standard. I did do a comparison with the New King James Version, and the words are different, but the four things are all there, okay? So if you're looking at this going, well, that's not what my Bible says. The four things are still there. The four, there's a different order and different words. Now, this word level-headed is very interesting. Um, it, it carries the idea of temperate. It carries the idea of moderation. Okay, both those are good. Normally, when we say use the word temperate, we think about alcohol or drugs that were to be self-controlled and those kind of things. But the idea here that Paul's trying to convey to Titus and that we need to take home today is that one of balance. Now, let me tell you what I know. Again, I'm 60 years old. I've now been a pastor for about 31 and a half years. So I've seen a lot. I've met a lot of people. I've run to a lot of families. I've seen lots of different situations. Here's what I know. Young families today, medium families today, and senior adult families today have a real tendency to get things out of balance. There are too many daddies who want to give their family a very good lifestyle and who are working 75 hours a week. You can't spend 75 hours a week and be a good dad to your family. You just can't. You can buy them stuff, but you cannot pour, 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 pour. And by the way, if your job says you got to, I understand that. But if you're just trying to work, 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 so your family can have the nicest car and the nicest house and nicest clothes and nicest this, nicest that, you're out of balance. You're out of balance. You just need to balance it up. You need to understand what the priorities are in your life. So now some of you guys, again, I I would tell you this. I've told you before, the one regret I have in my life is that while I was going to school and pastoring full-time, my wife spent the, the developing years of our daughter's life raising them. I was either gone all the time of the church or gone to class, and consequently, I missed probably the first five or six or seven years of my, of my daughter's lives. I was out of balance. I thought the demands of the pastor were valid. I thought the demands of education were valid. But I was out of balance. So I can look you in the eye today and say this. From experience, I can tell you, keep your life in balance. Some of you have done it right. Some of you guys with the gray hair or, or not a whole lot of hair, and, and you know, you're kind of old, you'd say... I did it right. I can tell you that my, my profession demanded more of me and I turned down a promotion because my family was most important. Both of us can teach. I would teach from a regret. You would teach from a success. So older men, pour into the lives of the young men around you. Pour into the lives of the, of the young women around you, the families around you, and tell them, keep things in balance because that's what Titus was told to teach by Paul. So they're to be level-headed. They are to be balanced in their lives. Um, Worthy of respect. Now, this is really good. If you remember, let me read the verse one more time to you. This is Titus 1.12. One of their own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, so you could probably say this, that if you went to apply for a job or you moved to a different community or a different town... And they said, where are you from? And you would say, I'm from Crete. And they would go, 
Oh, we know. Because Cretans have a reputation that they are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. You, you know, come on, you've got some things in your past. And when you say it, people go, oh. So what Titus is being encouraged to do is to encourage the older men to live down that reputation. To live down that, to prove by action that may have been who I was, but I'm not now. Worthy of respect. So, so teachers, so that means if we're gray-haired or, or not much hair, or you're a dad now. You're a dad and you have children. Okay? You are to be a, live a life worthy of respect. A reputation that your kids can look at and go, that's my dad. That's my dad. That's my dad. Very, very, very important. Live a life worthy of respect. And then he says this, sensible. Now, this is the word that we normally associate temperate with. You see temperate in your scripture. Uh, This is the idea of self-controlled. We live in a a world of extravagance. We live in a world where more is not necessarily better, but more is always more. Again, i got to just tell you, you know, Brent and David messed my brain up and made me an Apple person. I was a happy Android user. I mean, I was. And then David had this iPhone, then Brent got an iPhone, he's back there raising his hand. You know, David's back there going, Amen, blessing, brother, Amen, blessing. And I got an iPhone. And so I, I even tried to go back to the Android and could not. I'm hooked. And I cannot wait because rumor is in September iPhone 6 is coming out. And it's going to have a bigger screen, the rumors say. I can't wait. You would call that extravagance. I would say, you're right, but I'm addicted. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We need to be people of self-control. Now, if all I talked about was the iPhone 6, and I sat in my house going, 39 more days. 38 more days. That might be something you'd go, wait a minute, Wayne. You're way out of control. So let me ask you a question. What is in your life? Like, I know you Cubs fans. You're out of control. Okay? You're out of control. My brother Ken back there, the man in blue and red. You know, you know, you know what is it in your life that might be out of control? That might be, again, I'm going to use the word again, might be out of balance. Paul says to Titus, Teach these guys in the Korean society where they are all liars and evil beasts and gluttons. Teach them to be self-controlled in all areas of their life. And then he gives this wonderful trio. He goes, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in endurance. Again, different words for different translations, but the same thing. It's so cool. Teach them to be sound in their faith. Now, teachers... Whether you're 85 or 60 or 50 or 40 or 30 or 13. Teachers, be sound in your own personal faith. You cannot give a greater gift. I see Tim holding his grandson. You cannot give a greater gift to your grandchildren, your children, and those around you than authentic, real faith lived out. Lived out. Give that gift. Make sure that that they are strong in their faith. That when people see your life, they see your faith in Jesus Christ. Again, you're the kind of person, you want to be the kind of person, you didn't have to wear a Jesus button, you are a Jesus button. 
Okay? Then, then he says this word love. And this is one of those verses where it cropped up in Sunday school this morning. Make sure that you have the authentic love. Listen to what Jesus said. I love these verses. And I, I, I thought in verse 34 and verse 35. Listen to this. Listen now. This is Jesus speaking. Um, not too far from the cross. I give you a new command. Now listen. Are you listening? I give you a new command. Love one another. Now, if he, if he stopped there, you kind of go, yeah, okay, well, I love pizza, and I love my Grand Prix, and I love the iPhone. It would be real broad. But he goes further. Listen, listen, listen. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. So Paul is teaching Titus and Jesus is teaching us that we are to love one another. Not, not, with, just, not with just love like you have for a pizza. Not just love like for even a human mankind. Just as Jesus loved us, we are to love other people. Oh, in fact, then he says the, word we're all familiar, the verse we're all familiar with. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So, so Paul tells Titus and Jesus tells us that we are to be a people of love. In other words, mom and dad, mom and dad, do your children know that you love one another? Or do they know that you fight a lot? Grandma and grandpa, you've been married about 40, 50 years. Is the fire still burning just a little bit? So the grandkids can go, can you believe my mama and my grandpapa? They, they still kiss. I saw him holding hands. What example of love are we showing to those we want to teach? Even my 13-year-old granddaughter, you're getting a lot of airtime tonight, Faith. You better listen because you don't know what I'm going to say about you. It's important that, that Faith show love to hope. And by the way, I know you can say, why are you talking about your granddaughter? I got the microphone. You had the microphone, you can talk about your granddaughter, okay? But here's the deal. I've seen her in action. And she can be a typical 13-year-old, but sometimes and frequently, she's a stellar 13-year-old. Hope, come, I'll play with you. She's showing love. So, faith, love, and endurance. Finishing well. Finishing well. The Christian walk is not a, it's not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon. So it's really cool if you live godly for the first 30 years. But don't crash and burn. Keep that journey going till finally the last breath comes. Be the kind of man, be the kind of woman that the pastor can speak well of at your funeral. He doesn't have to make stories up. He doesn't have to read a lot of poems. Your life will speak broadly and loudly. We want to do that. Then he goes on to, verse number 3 through 5, he speaks about, speaks to the older women. Now let's look at this. To the same way, older women. Now do you know anything that's big there? Okay. The fact that Paul is even talking to Titus about older women, about women in general, is phenomenal. Ladies, I'm sorry. In this century, you are property. You didn't matter. When Christianity came along, you started mattering. Wherever, I love, Einstein said this one time, wherever Christianity has been, women did well. Children did well. 
God came along and gave you, gave you prestige and position. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So the fact that Paul is even saying this to Titus is huge. So he says, now, in the same way, old women are to be reverent. I love this word, reverent. It means suitable to the temple. Godly. Uh, the idea is of, of a priestess who is serving in the temple. Uh, devoted to serving in the temple. Ladies, you are to be reverent. You are to be godly. Now, let's face it. Part of the problems in America is the absence of a dad in homes. Too many homes. Either there's not a godly dad or there's not a dad. But ladies, you and I both know you are the impactor. You are the impactor. Impact your children, your world with your godliness. Be godliness. Be reverent. He goes on and says this, both in behavior, in action, and in attitude. Not, this is a good one, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. Now I'm going to let you tackle the much wine thing. You know, how much is too much? I'm, I'm a Baptist. I'm a teetotaler. I'll let you and God work that part out. But get the deal. In Cretan society, apparently this was a problem. The kids would get grown. They had the empty nest syndrome going on. Wasn't much of the grandparenting thing going on. So the ladies would get together around the kitchen table, pull out the bottle of Charbochet. Grape juice. And sit there and drink their wine and get drunk and gossip about what's going on in the world. Now, I don't have time. I'm not going to take time. You know, gossip is dangerous and bad for the church. It's bad for the family. It's bad for a community. So, so Paul turns around and tells Titus, tell them not to gossip. Now, I'm sorry, ladies, he said this to you. But again, the Cretan society, by the way, do men gossip? Uh, hello? Have you ever been to McDonald's before in the morning? I'm telling you. All right? So, yeah. So tell them not to gossip. And watch out for this addiction. Why? Watch out for addictions in general. Some of your addiction, you're addicted to, I think it's still on, as the world all my children. Some of you are addicted to books that talk about a marriage, a romance novel, talks about a marriage that doesn't exist. Be careful of the addictions in your life. You want to, the only thing you need to be addicted to, I know this sounds real hokey spiritual, the only addiction you need to have is Jesus. You can be addicted to him all you want. So, so be careful of the addictions. He goes on and says this. He says, they are to teach what is good. So Paul recognized and told Titus, these women, they are great teachers. And you are, ladies. You've got ears that we men don't have. Teach what's good. And you go, what's good? Well, he tells us. He says, we are to encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children. Probably another Cretan societal thing. But the truth is, in our busy world... It's awful easy to let love slip away. Let me check something. Hang on a second. Yeah. I want to make sure I didn't want to misspeak. He says to love who first? Your husbands and your children. I'm going to tell you this. Ladies, if, if Titus was here and he's saying, now, here's what you need to do. Make sure you love your husband. Because if you pour your love into your husband's life, he's going to be a better daddy. And when you have a good mom and a good dad, you've got strong children. That's not true? 
Isn't it true? It really is. So encourage them. And, and I, want to, I want to say this. And you know and I, this is true. In our society, we are way too busy. Just like in Cretan society. I'm not sure what was going on. But in Cretan society, something made Paul say to Titus, you've got to encourage them to love their husbands and love their children. I know what was causing there. I know what's causing here. Busy, 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 busy lives. And I've been married 38 years in June to a 56-year-old woman. Got it right this time. I'm going to tell you something. A marriage suffers, a home suffers, when the parents are too busy. Encourage them to love their husbands and to love their children. To be self-controlled, just like the older guys. To make sure there's balance in your life. To make sure that you're temperate in the areas that matter. To, to be pure. To be morally chaste. To set the example in chastity. chastity. Is that right? Chastity? Chastity. Purity. Make sure you're that. Make sure that you're setting your example for your son and your daughter. And being chaste. Be pure. Um, homemakers. That's an out, that's out of a word, isn't it? Can, can I say something? And you know what? This is one of those times when you know my heart. I hope you know my heart. If you don't know my heart, then you're probably visiting. But here's the deal. Ladies, don't forget something. I understand careers. I understand the need for two incomes. I know in this, the world we live in. But don't forget this. Daddy, I'll get the men first. Does that make you feel better? Daddy, your number one job is to be a spiritual leader in your house. Mom, you need to make a home. Somewhere in there in the priority list, you know, is God and your family. And you need to be a homemaker. I know. Daddy, don't you sit on your hands while she's in there washing dishes or while she's doing the laundry. Come on. In this crazy world we live in. But mama, it's you. Ma'am, it's you who often makes a house a home. Be a homemaker. Make sure that the tenor, make sure the environment of your home makes the kids want to come home and your man to come home. Make sure. Be homemakers. And then be kind. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Be kind. And then, and then this one. Submissive to their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. This gets such a bad rap. I bet Oprah had a good time with this mission thing. It gets a bad rap. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, and I think it's verse 21. You know, Paul made it clear. Submit one to another. This is not a woman being a doormat. This is not men are here and women's here. It's directly to a husband and a wife to be submissive. And what that literally means is this. God in his infinite wisdom knew that a team had to have a captain. That, that, a, that a nation had to have a leader calling your family a nation. And God, I think in his wisdom, sometimes I wonder because I'm such a poor one. But God put the man as the leader. And when we submit, ladies, when you're asked to submit, you're not his doormat. You're simply submitting to the fact that he's the leader. And don't forget it said, submit one to another. Wives, you submit by saying you're the leader and I'll honor that. Husbands, you submit by loving your wife as Christ loved the church. That's what submission is all about. It's not a dirty word, guys. It's not a dirty word. And husbands, I'll give you a real clue. The better job you do of loving your wife, the more you should combine. She will willingly submit to your leadership. Willingly. 
So, so Titus is taught by Paul to teach them to submit. Again, we don't know the culture, the creed and things, what caused him to write that. Besides, it was definitely good teaching that he wrote to, to the Ephesians and others. Is that we should have that priority right. That God's put the husband as the leader of the family. And that wife is, if you want to call it the neck, call whatever you want. She is right there supporting, undergirding him with the children following that. We need that taught. I, I remember, oh gosh. Story after story after story. I, I shared with one person not too long ago about their husband. And they said something like this. There would be another, never be another one for me besides him. That husband had done such an incredible job of loving his wife that there would never be another one like him. How incredible is that? If you've been married a while, you need to teach. These young couples need to know that marriage is worth fighting for. Let me say it again. If you've been married a while, you really need to teach. Because these young couples need to know it's worth fighting for. If you're younger and you've got 12 years in your belt, there's probably a, a, a man or a woman in, in the church that sure could, sure could use your encouragement because they're, they're in year one in about month six. And we've had a few bumps already, and they're going, boy, I don't know about this. I remember, unfortunately, I remember preaching one time and saying that Judy and I had been married for a year, and it was a long year. I didn't mean it the way it came out, but I did say it. I did. We need to be teachers that encourage marriage. That's worth we're going to quit. You read that last little part yourself. I want to leave this. This is the bottom line. We're all teachers. Whether we're 13 or whether we're 85. The question is this. What lesson are we teaching? We're all story writers. You know I love to write stories. You read my article. I love to write stories. What story are you writing with your life? And the cool part is, like I said at the very beginning, I'm going to go full circle. Wherever you are in your life, you still got the pen in your hand. Look down. For some of you, it may be three years. You're well in advance in years. We don't know, of course, life or death. Some of you, you're younger. But you look down and you go, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I like the way this story is ending. I think I'll change the ending. And if you're still breathing, you can do that. You can't undo mistakes. Nor should you, by the way, spend your life beating you up over those mistakes, beating yourself up over those mistakes. But you should be willing to do whatever necessary to change the ending of the story. So, older men, set the example. Be so Christ-like so these younger men can look up to you and go, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. Older ladies... Set the example. Teach the lesson. So these younger women would go, I want to be like her. I want to be like her. You teenagers, college students, be the man, be the woman that God's made you to be. So 
junior hires and middle schoolers or five-year-olds can look in your life and say, I want to be like her and like him. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much. I'm amazed always at the things you include in your word. Thank you for preserving this letter to a young preacher boy named Titus who needed to know what to speak to his congregation. And for the privilege that's mine, and I hope, Father, that you are glorified today to speak into the lives of this church family. Father, I pray for every senior adult, and I don't care where it starts, God, but I pray for every one of us that we would be godly and gracious in our senior years. May we pour out of our lives into the lives of those who are younger than us the teachings, the valuable lessons we have learned as we have journeyed with you. So I pray for that. I pray for every younger mom and dad, husband and wife that are here today. Father, may they see the value of marriage. May the husband see the value of balancing out the workload to make time for family. May you help every wife here, mother here, balance out so she can always be a homemaker. Provide a home where the husband and the children want to come home to. God, that's incredibly hard sometimes. I pray, Father, that you'll help. Then, God, for every, I suppose from 10 years old up, as people watch our lives, may we be a great teacher. We need your help. We, we learned about three or four years ago, it seems, maybe longer than that, that we can't do this stuff. I can't be the mentor. I can't be the older man. I can't be um, the daddy, the husband, um, the brother that I need to be. It's going to take you. So we invite you into our lives. Because not only do we need a Savior one day, we need a Savior today to help us. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.